We live in this place, Adelaide, where we have, you know, some incredible food producing areas. You know, I'd love South Australians to know this, that we are, you know, we are in an incredible place and we should be celebrating this great city that we live in because we're so blessed with the beautiful fresh produce that, that gets delivered here and grown here, you know, day in, day out. Welcome back to The Forager. I'm Nicole Hark and delighted to be joined today by the publisher of City Mag, Josh Fanning. Welcome along, Josh. Hi, Nicole. How are you? I am sensational. Now, I have to say that your role within the Adelaide food scene is a really interesting one because you, through City Mag, have really captured and chronicled the new Adelaide, if you like. Yeah, I think we didn't set out to do that. We set out to be a city magazine to talk about arts and culture and business and opinions and a little bit of food and then that little bit of food really garnered a lot of attention. One of our first ideas of how important food was to our readers was the launch of Africola. So we knew Duncan Welgamood, we knew the architects, studio Graham, Graham and David, and we just had that that head start on our competitors because we knew these people and we're friends with those people and so we did the story and 10,000 readers later, we're like, okay, people (laughs) want to know about that. It was nice. You reflected just before, and I'd ask you to share that upon the the launch of Lee Street and what was going on there and the fact that these were all people that had connections. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, literal example of what happens when a city's working well. I wrote about Lee Street and the the birth of Lee Street recently, but it really was Casa Blabla moving into the street. And that place filled a massive hole. It was a big empty, it was formerly Sarah's Sisters, which you might know from Mm -hmm. Semaphore. And they couldn't make a fist of it. They tried to do the live music, they tried to do the culture, but it, it didn't quite fit. And this crazy Irishman, Rory Burke, moved in and he just filled it up with things and painted it red and employed young people with ideas, female DJs who weren't really being represented at that time, Africans, Japanese, taiko drummers, snake dance, and it was incredible. And filling that space, I think, gave the street a bit more confidence. Josh Baker moved from Ragoni's then to Coffee Branch. We did a story on Coffee Branch. We were able from that to then connect him with another story we'd written about Burger Theory. They did their first ever illegal food truck service on Lee Street on private property. (laughs) (laughs) because we couldn't do it on the streets of Adelaide at that stage. And so bit by bit, there was Rob Dinan and Rowan Edwards. These people started Uderberry. Rowan used to work at Casa Blah Blah and Rob used to be a commercial land agent for Railway Arcade, which runs down Mm -hmm. adjacent and underneath North Terrace. They used to meet for coffee as they were friends uh, at Coffee Branch. Flight Centre came up for lease. They said, let's do it. Rob used to live and work in in Basque country in Spain. And so they brought that whole idea here. They tried to license correctly. They got shut down doing that, spent $30,000 trying to do it the right way. I'm good friends with both of them. Mm -hmm. I was appalled. My friend at the time was advisor, arts advisor, Jay Weatherall. 
I asked Robin Rowan, how big a deal do you want to make out of this? They said, go for your life. <laughs> and so that's why we have small bars. <laughs> and what a difference it's made. Yeah. And I think it's, it is those little things and those little connections that are kind of unique to Adelaide. And really, it wasn't just us with small bars. It was Adelaide. Adelaide wanted it. You know, and, and you'll see Josh Baker from Coffee Branch then open Clever Little Taylor, and he has credited Robin Rowan with inspiring that. And I think every small bar has been inspired by the one before it. Mm. And as a consequence, they've all become better and better and Adelaide just wins. One of the things that people might feel is that in a small market that you'd run out of stories to tell. And yet there is such richness to explore and so many untold stories. And talking about untold stories, you wrote a beautiful piece recently on Simon from Lucia's. The story of Lucia's, of course, is well known, but perhaps what's lesser known is the generational impact of Lucia's. Taking the old and creating the new, it's it's just, it speaks volumes about what occurs here in Adelaide in family businesses. Family businesses are incredibly important to the, the state. The story with Simon, I think, is really special because everyone's so familiar with Lucia's. It almost fades into the background. You can run into the, you know, the former premier there on any given morning, Jay Weatherall having a, a coffee just casually in the corner. It's that sort of place that no one's bigger than the cheers. Mm. It's it's the mother of the markets, I think, in so many ways. Whether you go there or you prefer Zoomers, that's even, you know, part of the fun of our food culture in SA. But it was noticing the change on Simon's pasta sauce from the cheers fine foods to the cheers Australia that really made me think, are they getting ready to start selling into into overseas. And my friend who runs charcuterie there, Tom Parbs, makes the best sandwiches. <laughs> Have to see Tom for a sandwich. Um, There's those connections again. Yeah, he, he said that Simon had changed it and it had made a huge difference and they were gearing up, getting export ready is what they said. Um, and so from there, sitting down with him and learning the story of how every step of the way he, he tried to get out of making pasta sauce every <laughs> summer because, you know, that's what Italians have to do in Australia is make the pasta sauce for the rest of the year. And, of course, it happens during summer. So he always was developing a business accidentally too so he could go to the beach. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and that's and the, the irony. Joke. The irony is that, yeah, you know, 35 years later he is spending all summer making sauce. <laughs> and you talk about the change that he made the change clearly to the bottle only because mm. the, the product is every bit a part of what Lucia's did in the early, early, early days. It's, they've, they've stuck to a tried and true recipe and it's really important to them. Thank you for introducing us. No worries. My pleasure. Simon, welcome along to The Forager. Great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. Talk to me about your relationship with food and what it means to you? Oh, wow. My relationship with food is pretty much as close as my relationship to my family kind of comes hand in hand. My family have celebrated food since I was born, pretty much. My grandparents were migrants from, from Italy after the war where good food was hard to come by, but they really, as you know, Italy appreciate food a lot. When they got here to Australia, they basically celebrated food from day one, just with the abundance and and, and the, you know the huge amounts of fantastic produce that we had here. And they really tried to let us know to be grateful for what we have here. And that's then went on with 
them being involved in the central market and my father being a fruit and veg merchant who also celebrated great food and encouraged people to buy great food so he could make money but really loved sourcing great food from the Riverland and the fantastic areas around Adelaide that food is installed in me. And I can see how much joy it actually brings to you. I mean, even ahead of this podcast, we're having a conversation and every time you spoke about something, I'm in an apple, a cherry, a, yeah. your face just beams. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's that also comes hand in hand from, you know, growing up in the central market when, you know, dad would drive up the Riverland and find, you know, some great oranges or great avocados and come back and, you know, be so excited about the fantastic produce that he'd found and that he could then go on and sell. And then also the other... F- fruit and veg merchants that I grew up with in the central market, they were also, they would also get excited by finding great produce. And it was a competition, basically, of who could find the best produce. <laughs> and now I spend, you know, three mornings a week out at the wholesale markets at Paraka buying uh, produce for our business. And it's, it's the same thing that's going on there, like, you know, people being proud of what they've grown and, you know, what they've brought to the market. And I just love that. You must be delighted then that, that people generally consumers are becoming more interested in the stories behind their food, where it comes from and how it's grown and when they should be eating it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. This is what's really exciting for, I think, everyone in the food game, especially for my friends that are, you know, that are growers and and that are fruit and veg merchants, is people want to know their stories and their stories are now being asked about their stories and they're able to tell their stories, how their cucumbers grown and where their apples are grown and how they're grown and why they're better here in South Australia. And, you know, we're growing organically and we're growing clean and and we're growing incredible produce um, very naturally here. You're obviously your name and and your life is synonymous with food. And, and you did mention, of course, your grandparents. Take me back to your childhood and your early memories of, of the market. So my earliest memories were um, of dad taking us out to the, the East End market on Rundle Street yeah. and buying the fruit and veg from there. And it was, it was they were great days because it was so close to Central Market that we would spend a lot of time between both. But we were able to you know, there were the days where we were able to jump on the back of a cauliflower cart and, you know, and take a ride in, you know, across town on a, you know, on a wow. on a cart with cauliflowers. Oh, was that, yeah, so it was kind of the, was the end of that era, but, it, you know, that era was amazing. And, you know, just having that East End market in the city was an amazing time. It was full of incredible characters and that and the central market went hand in hand and those boys would then come across to the central market and, you know, the fresh produce then was, and is now, was, was just incredible. And what were the days like? I mean, did you spend your days sort of running around the legs of the merchants and... Yeah, so yeah, pretty, pretty much. So, you know, we were allowed to, you know, stack fruit and clean up the boxes and when we were younger, just play play with fruit and vegetables, basically. And there were, the market was that busy that there was there seemed to be money all over the floor. I'm not sure if it was that area. <laughs> so my brother and I would spend half the day, you know, picking up coins and notes off the floor. <laughs> Almost make more money doing that than working. Yeah, it was great. There was It was early morning. So most of my memories of, uh, you know, from three in the morning till nine in the morning, I suppose. And then mum would come pick us up, I suppose, and take us home. But And your grandparents are obviously the people behind the name Lucia's. Yeah. What sort of conversations did you share with them? The conversations was all about if we're talking about food, was is, is celebrating food. So I specifically, you know, remember them. We, we would eat lunch together as a family every Sunday and um, we would always have a meat ragu in the sauce. Um, my nonna would hand make the pasta every Sunday. And the conversations 
with I, I remember about why we would do this. Why would we would have this celebration of food every week? Is because it was so food good food was so hard to come by in Europe at that stage before they came here that it was their way of celebrating life and food by making sure we all got together as a family and really appreciated what we had. I mean, your you, grandfather fell in love with Australia. He, he yeah. came out here as a prisoner of war Correct. in World War II, yep. but decided it was where later he wanted to settle. They worked on farms out at Shepparton and, and um, really enjoyed the Australian people and the Australian <laughs> culture and the Australian way of life and just how well everyone was living that he thought it would be the best place to bring up a family, They're impressed with, you know, just the quality of country and quality of life, which, are, you know, I think we're all still blessed with today. Mm, absolutely. Mm. It's been talked about a lot in the media, the process of, of your nonna going from making the food at home mm -hmm. and celebrating the food at home and then mm. deciding to take it into a commercial space. And I understand there was a neighbour that had something to do with that. That's correct. Yeah, there was, uh, she was cooking pizza uh, and, and the neighbour who was came over and smelt the pizza and said, what are you <laughs> cooking, Lachia? And she said, this is pizza. And the neighbour replied with, what is that? So it was, you know, those days pizza was even unknown and there wasn't a pizza bar in South Australia yet. So the neighbour convinced her that uh, that should be done commercially and uh, that's when it started in 1957. How do you feel now sort of carrying that flame, some of the responsibility that goes with that, I suppose, accepting and supporting and embracing the heritage but also looking to the future and the opportunities? Yeah, I, I think... It's not just me, it's my brother and my sister as well. But sure. We, we find it, I think we find it quite easy just because it's all about doing the right things at the right time with food and it's as simple as just not cutting corners, you know. It's decision to do it the way we've always done it and the right way is, you know, it's not always the easiest way but it makes it, it, makes it easy for us that we know the path to keeping it the way it is. It's just about doing things the way we've been taught and the right way and... It's made it quite simple for us, really. What about the evolution of Lucia's over time? So we were making pizza. Well, we were making the sauce for the for the cafe all our lives, basically as kids in the in the backyard, and uh, we'd have to make ten thousand bottles a year. And over summer, um, we're only making a hundred a day, so it took up most of our summers. So <laughs> started fun and not so much once you hit the yeah, teenagers. Correct. So I um so. I decided to get a commercial kitchen just so we could make the sauce a little quicker and we were able to make it in a, in a few days rather than all, all of summer. So the goal initially was to just not spend all of our summers making tomato sauce. <laughs> but now we spend all of our summers making tomato sauce. But um, <laughs> it's kind of backfired at times. The irony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's how that, you know, that evolved. We just, we got ourselves into a commercial kitchen and started making some sauce and we, we made a few extra one year and we sold them in a few weeks really. So the year after we made a few more and the commercial kitchen became unavailable after a little while. So we bought one and it's just evolved from there. It's been an organic growth and we haven't really tried to dominate the world or take over the world. We've really just tried to, you know, organically grow and just make the amounts that we want to make year on year with fresh tomatoes. It's not a case of trying to take over the world, but the world has now come to us. So it's, you know, we'll start sending them some sauce. And those tomatoes, where did they come from? Um, they come from Shepparton in Victoria. We have a few growers that grow tomatoes for us. We, we use a, a certain tomato at a certain time of year because of the sugar content and and the quality of sauce that comes out of them. So that was another decision, you know, that going back to that decisions that 
um, to keep the tradition going. We've always just made this tomato sauce in summer when the tomatoes are at their peak. So as long as we stick to that, we know the, the sauce flavour will always be the same and always be consistent. So it's just things like that that we don't move away from that, that keeps it great. But yeah, we, they're, yeah they're, most of them are Italian and the growers and they also came out post-war and um, set up tomato farms out there and because of the cold, coldish night climate there and the warm days, they grow an incredible tomato. That's what you were talking about before, wasn't it, in the not cutting corners? You're Correct. saying at the end of yep. the day, this is about respecting the food that you're working Spot with. Spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and respecting the cultures and, and, yeah, respecting the way it's always been done, you know, preservative free and colouring free. And, and they were able to do that because they produced everything out of you know, when everything was in season. So as long as we, we source the best products that are in season, we will have no issue providing great flavour and great colour in our food and great taste without adding the additives. Has the recipe changed over time? Uh, no. <laughs> it's exactly it's, what it was. It's exactly the same, yeah. So essentially the, what we produced for the, uh, for the cafe was the Posada in the beer bottles, mm-hmm. which is now just in a, in a different shape bottle. But Mononna would make us, so we also do a heat and serve style sauce. And our nonna would make us heat and serve, as we got older, heat and serve style jars. So we could have them in our cupboards at home for when we needed to cook pasta for ourselves. So it's just that, basically. And the, <laughs> and, and the flavors are exactly the same. She made a couple of different varieties. And um, so you can just throw it in the pan and heat it up and eat it. Yeah. I like the way you say that. It's just that. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you make it sound so simple. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> And it's beautifully successful. I mean, one of the things that must feel incredible for you is this notion that you're now exporting. I mean, you know, it was big to be producing and supplying across Australia. Yeah. But you've now broken those boundaries and you're going global. Yes. <laughs> so the world came to us. We, we weren't really intending on going global and just yet. I'm sure there was a day that where that was going to happen. But a, a company from America has come to see us and they – they have 4,000 stores across the world, so they're not small. But they liked our product and, and, and came to us and said, we can play as you know, big as you want or as small as you want. You know, could you give us some product? You know, we're interested in taking your product back to the States. Wow. And they've been really great to work with. Uh, they've wanted to help us make it happen there. It's very different. I feel it's a little bit different to the way we do business here in Australia. They were whatever we can do to help you put your source on our shelves, we're here for you. So it was really, it's been really quite an interesting journey. How long are we talking? Uh, six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a new journey. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, it's a couple of months now. But, um, the, the, yeah, the, the process, you, you know, they said we want to get you in for the fall and we can make this happen really quickly. You just need to jump through these hoops and we really want you in there and we really think you're going to work. So. How did they discover you? So they have people out here looking for good Australian produce. So the world knows that we have fantastic produce here in Australia and and, and the world's looking for it. And they've come across us in a shop interstate and love the branding, love the fact that it was preservative free. You don't see much of that in in America these days. And the fact that it had Australia sprawled across the uh, label, they were quite excited with that. So all in all, they thought we were a great fit for them and conversation started. When did you realise that that Australian element was was such a a strong marketing play for you? Oh, we've always known it and it's always been our pitch is to, you know, I I feel like outside of South Australia where people don't know the name Lachia's, that's always been 
into Australia. But when we went interstate, we've always known it was the Australia part of the product, which was going to make it sell on those shelves in the supermarkets where we're unknown. So we're trying to figure out the best way to tell it. And we changed the fine foods across the, the cheers, fine foods across the front to the cheers Australia. And we had a 40% increase in sales basically wow. overnight. Because ultimately you're, you're competing with a lot of product out of Italy. Absolutely. And the Italian market dumps it here on Australia. So the, the price point is extremely competitive. Mm. And we were never in that price fight or that price range. So it was always about the quality of product. But once we told people it was an Australian quality product, it's when things have definitely changed. Have you been over and seen it on the shelves? Uh, not yet, no. The joyful part has been to see like how much my mum has liked the idea that the sauce was you know, going to America and how much wow. my auntie loves it and my brother and my sister. And you know, that, that's the joy for me is that everyone's you know, happy and proud of the product and the, the buzz I get. Sounds like you might need a family trip to the US. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, definitely. Kids are crying for Disneyland. So. How, how do you make some of these decisions as a family and are the generations still involved at, at multiple levels? I feel like in a family business, everyone just, just be self-aware and understand what everyone's strengths are. And I think we all carry different strengths. And then once we all understand what each other's strengths are and, and really appreciate each other for what we're good at, not what we're bad at, and then just trust each other to, you know, making those decisions. That's what it feels like for us. You know, we're not all great at everything and we're not bad at everything either, but what we are good at, we just trust each other to make those decisions. If you could have a conversation with your nonna now, with Lucia, at this moment, as the, the source is landing in the US, what do you think that conversation might be about? Uh, the first question she would ask me is, did you cut any corners? <laughs> how, did you get, how did you do it? <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> how is that possible? And I'll be like, no, I promise. <laughs> That's 100%. <laughs> she'd, she'd have your heart if you did it wrong, would she? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that was, you know, the promise I always had to make, basically. And, you know, as we expanded while she was still alive is you know, make sure you're doing it right. And as we, she was still alive when we went into the commercial kitchen and she, she was against it and I had to prove myself. So, you know, she didn't think we could do it. Um, but no, but, it, you know, we, we did it the way we've always done it. We just did it in a little bit of a quicker manner and with some bigger equipment. Just had to stick to that. And so were there some challenges along the way between the, the kind of the old and the new? You know, you said that, that uh, Nonna didn't think you could do it. And I suppose there she was wanting to hold on to the tradition. Yeah. And you're saying, but the new has a better way. Mm. You know, how, how do you reconcile that? Uh, we just, we, we basically take small steps. We, we've really taken small steps along the way and just tried to get each part of the process done well. Yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been that easy because you're either cooking tomato sauce in a backyard or you're mass producing it. So, We've had to work out a way that we can find some middle space and find some equipment that works or, you know, we've had equipment made or, or engineered stuff our own way to sort of replicate the backyard style. Yeah, so there's been some challenges definitely. And, and so what you're saying there is that you, you're prepared to look at advancements but not if it's going to compromise quality. Exactly right. Yeah, it's quality first. De like definitely, that's you know, it's the top of our mission statements. Quality. And do you think Nana would be proud today? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, just because I've done it right, <laughs> it's because it still tastes good. <laughs> I reckon yeah. you've got that little voice in the head always, uh, haven't always. you? Always. <laughs> yeah. She's there with you all yeah, the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, is, and my mum is still now, and my auntie. Um, 
it's definitely no, there's no compromising ever. Yeah. You were talking before we recorded this about your passion for South Australia's role yeah. in terms of the global food market yeah. and the strengths of what we have here yeah. in South Australia. It's something you hold very dear, isn't it? We're just an incredible part of the world. We we live in this place, Adelaide, where we have the, you know some incredible food producing areas the Adelaide Hills is just an amazing place for you know cherries and and apples and I think we grow the best cherries and apples in the world you know there's also there's other great produce that comes out of there but they're the first two that come to mind the the Riverland is you know an incredible river with some incredible growers along that river producing some of the best oranges in the world and the world knows this it's just you know I'd love South Australians to know this that we are you know we are in an incredible place and we should be celebrating this great city that we live in because we're so blessed with the beautiful fresh produce that that gets delivered here and grown here you know day in day out and one way in which we can celebrate that, of course, is through the Adelaide Central Markets yeah. and, and its role yep. in our community. Yeah, it's a real market. It, it, it Again, from what I was saying, because in this fantastic part of the world that we sit in, that the market has a... You know, has always been there. It's needed to be there. Um, if, this, if, if Adelaide didn't have the incredible produce that it's always had and, and, and grown, the market you know, probably we would have faded away by now. But because it, we genuinely have incredible growers here who aren't suited for supermarkets or for the interstate chains, they need outlets. And, and um, even the seafood that comes through the central market, the whiting and the, and the South Australian crabs and the tunas, like, you know, the clean green seafood, that, you know, that's local fishermen and that's still available in the, in the heart of our city. It's quite incredible. Do you get a sense sometimes that we perhaps don't celebrate it enough? Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I I feel like we, you know, we should all be jumping for joy. I mean, we are genuinely in a, a fantastic place with fantastic produce. I'm not sure what else we need. <laughs> We've got it all. <laughs> How much of your time is actually spent now at the central market? Um, so I spend every afternoon at the central market. I, so I wake up and drive out to the. Uh, wholesale produce market and I spend a uh, couple of hours in the morning there I then spend a few hours at the factory commercial kitchen and then spend the end of the day at the central market nice yeah and your customers at the central market I imagine there's the people that you've been seeing your family's generations have been seeing generations of in, yeah. in terms of those people that are just there every week they, they love what you do and they're part of it yeah absolutely it's a family business and, you know, it's there for other families to enjoy. And that's what our grandparents, um, why they loved it. They, they love food because it brought the family together and it brought people together. And their appreciation for South Australian food and, and the food we're able to produce here, they wanted other people to be able to appreciate it and enjoy it. And, uh, and that's, I think, what makes it so special. So is it really important to you to always maintain that sort of front-facing aspect of Lucia's that people can be part of? Yeah, absolutely. That's still, you know, the, the biggest driver is the, being part of the market and being part of that cultural melting pot of the, of the market and being able to, you know, touch people, you know, daily with you no know, food. What do you imagine the future to look like? Do, do you let yourself sort of plan too far ahead? Because I know you said organic growth doing yeah. the right thing the right way, evolving as it feels right to do so. Do you allow yourself to think further ahead? Yeah, I, I think it's just much, I think it's much of the same. I, you know, I have young family, so we want to, you know, I like to spend time with my family. I want them to grow up to be part of the city and the market. I don't really see it be, being much different from what it is today. 
and it's just more of the same, which is, you know, so much fun. And, Lucia's yeah. on supermarket shelves across the world. Uh, possibly, but I, I don't see us. I, yeah, we're not chasing world domination. Um, we will find a spot that suits us as long as we can continue to still hang out at the market. Beautiful. Well, uh, we celebrate your history, heritage and contribution to the food scene here in South Australia. It has been magnificent. I don't think there's too many people in South Australia that haven't heard of Lucia's and don't know of the beautiful impact that you and your family have had and continue to have for those of us who, who love celebrating food. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. To subscribe to the Forager's free weekly food and wine email, go to indaily.com.au forward slash subscribe. And don't forget to look out for the SA Life Food and Wine List 2019. It's in newsagents now for more than 350 pages of the best of South Australian food and wine. I'm Nicole Huck, and I'll be back next Wednesday with another fascinating guest or two in the Forager podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>